It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. No such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do? No, we don't. A donkey's eat and a donkey's eat a palace. <laughs> There's nothing else to eat. He was massive. Legs, <laughs> ass, filth. But I burst out laughing about <laughs> <laughs> All the negativity's gone around hurling, lads. Like, I mean, Salt Hill yesterday was an absolute classic. Um, it's hard to even uh, put all of the pieces of brilliance and skill and brilliant goals and go through all of them. We'd only cover one game, uh, Paul Murphy. Like, I mean, it started off with Shane Bennett's catch for Jack Prendergast's goal. And I don't know, was that a set move? Because he didn't even, for some, some way, he had a sixth sense to know Jack Prendergast was there without even looking around at him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there was a huge amount in this game. There was a huge amount over the weekend in general. But um, yeah, look, the, the game in Salt Hill was just, it was absolutely brilliant. And I suppose there has been a lot of criticism and ups and downs over the last while with the league. But uh, look, we're kind of jumping week to week as far as I can see. People are really being critical, picking out a few small points. And there are major points in it, certainly maybe freezing different things. But I mean, I think we've seen across the games, and like I said, Salt Hill being the big one, that, you know, everything that we still love is still there, you know, and how bad we're coming away from a game saying that the, the scoreline was enormous and we had, you know, so many goals and different bits of skill. And look, you, you can't put it down to Anton else, only that the skill was immense. Desi Hutchinson's goal, I mean, just powered out, caught the ball, turned and stuck it in the top corner, you know. So, um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And look, I think if you... If, if, if you wanted a game, I think we, we had close to 90 scoring chances. So it was just a brilliant game and, and really the highlight of the weekend. Michael Carton, are we going to go down the road where people are going to give out that there's too many scores? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> people will give out about everything, will you? But um, no, look, the, this was a great weekend for Hurland. Hurland Snobbery's back, thank God. <laughs> uh, uh, great to see all the scores. And, and more so, I think the refs have to be applauded because we give out about them enough, but they let the games flow this weekend. And I think that's why we've seen um, so much scores and free-flowing hurling was back. And it was just enjoyable to watch. You were sitting down and I was enjoying watching every game. And I disagree with the hurling game of the week. I thought the Antrim Exeter game was better, but uh, it, it was great to see all the scores and not so many frees. So um, 
hopefully continues. So, so you mentioned the Desi Hutchinson goal, uh, Paul. Shane Bennett's goal was sensational as well. It was a drop hit because he was going yeah. to get he's going to get hooked, and that was a combination of the three Bennett brothers: Stephen with a lovely little ball over the top to Kieran, and then he set up uh, Shane for the goal. Like I mean, sensational stuff, really. There was the Joe Canning assists. There was the mm. Joe Canning sidelines passes to Cottle Mannion. He did it twice in the first maybe 10, 15 minutes. Brian Cannon, sensational skill. You mentioned like again Peter Casey the night before, kind of doing a Peter Duggan on it, holding the ball like a like an egg and spoon bloody uh, carry on. Like I mean, it was. And then obviously, look, you could go through all the games. It was just I, I don't know. Like I mean, I, like the some of the managers were talking about these really high scores, and they're putting it down to the skill levels. And I think they're right, aren't they? Like, and obviously, skill levels plus. Players mind the ball now. So, like, I mean, there's no clearances that are going to somebody else. And then, you know, a, a passage of play for three or four minutes where there's no score. Like, do we have to get, just get used to this is hurling now? Yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it is where it's gone. It's The skill level is absolutely enormous. And like you said, players are really thinking. Every ball is is a considered ball. Their Players are getting their head up. But not only that, they know what the players around them are doing. Um, you know, Mick said there, and, you know, he is right, the game the weekend was um, Antrim and Wexford. In terms of skill on show, probably it was the, the Watford-Galway match. But if you look at, like, the likes of, I mean, you've mentioned so many points there. Neil McManus then as well, you know, when he got the ball in his hand, didn't even look up. He ran kind of right. He was on the 21, ran diagonally, knowing he was going to flick it back across for the goal for Antrim. Yeah. And that just shows like, the thinking and the cleverness of players at the moment. It's not just the simple case of, yeah, it is the physical skill, but players are thinking so quickly at the moment. Like you said, then again, with um, Shane Bennett, you know, Shane Bennett caught a ball, knew he was going to be hooked or blocked, so dropped it to the ground and a drop shot into the side net. I mean, it was <laughs> absolutely brilliant, you know. So players are just thinking so fast, reacting so fast, and the skill as well. Very few balls are going astray. So all these things combined, I mean, you know, who'd want to be a defender in many ways when there's forwards moving the way they are? But I think there's just so many examples over the weekend of why there's reasons to be positive. Um, Tony Kelly, with 20 points and you know who begrudge him he's, he's he's basically dancing around the pitch and there's no one coming near to him that's just pure skill it's the, the athlete he is so I think you know there's so many things over the weekend and going forward into a championship that you know where where do we look that you're not going to miss something over the course of the, the championship you know well, that's the thing. You're not going to go in and have a cup of tea, uh, Mick, anyways, or you, you could be you could be missing one three. Like, I mean, there was 90 scoring opportunities in Salt Hill. We mentioned that Limerick scored 33 points and 20 wides, 35 shots at the goal, uh, or that's 53 shots at the goal in 75 minutes. Like, I mean, that must be some kind of record. That's just one team. <laughs> like, I mean, now we'll get into we'll get into the reasons for that in a minute. But Clare scored 34 against Dublin. Limerick scored 33 against Cork. Galway scored 428 against Waterford. Waterford scored 323 away to Galway and lost the game. Like, I mean, it's outrageous scoring. Now, the, the kind of challenge match feel a little bit in this league might be might be feeding into it a little bit. The lack of crowds might be feeling in, feeding into it a little bit. Yeah, definitely, Woody. I think because we've seen the lowest scoring game being the Antrim game with a crowd, and that had the most championship feel to it, like the most physicality in it. The other games, like they're great to watch, but it's all out attack. It's it's who's going to score the most. It's not defending sort of gone out the window a little bit. Their defenders are hurling well, they're playing well, but there seems to be so much freedom around the pitch for these lads to get the scores. Like they're they're scoring not under a huge amount of pressure. So 
Well, that, that's it. It's the, it's, it will change for championship, definitely, but it, that, it, it does have a little bit of challenge game feel to it at the moment. It, it's that word the pundits in hurling love using, Paul. It's intensity, and that probably isn't there. And intensity obviously leads into you know winning the ball back potentially or marking your man that bit tighter. And, and you have probably more motivation when a crowd is there and all your family are watching you and everything. Yeah, that's exactly it. And 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 the crowd, you know, I think the crowd is going to have a, a serious effect on the games when they come back in. Um, again, it was something we would have commented on last year, um, even playing the matches, like let's say the warm up matches, or even coming into the championship. That you know, players who were actually who were on the field were saying, you know, it's so easy to communicate. You know, if I was in a backline um, when I was playing, one of the hardest things is a player is after clearing the ball, he's now looking up the pitch, admiring the ball, he's after striking, but his man has gone running 20 yards away from across the pitch. And you can't communicate with that player now because, you know, there's a crowd and the crowd are shouting and there's a bit of confusion. And, you know, that isn't there at the moment because there's yeah. no crowd. You can communicate. You can communicate with the corner forward nearly at this stage if you want. So the likes of that, the likes also as well, if you're going to rise a ball and the crowd reacting or you drop a ball or you don't rise a ball, the crowd reacting plays with, you know, the mentality of players. Players get a little bit flustered, a small bit. So, you know, I think crowds will have an effect. And you also see that it also plays into the, the atmosphere on the pitch. The most rowdy game I think we saw so far in the league was Antrim and Wexford. And there was a crowd there and you could see when Neil McManus and Matthew O'Hanlon were going at it. You know, you could hear the crowd and it was geeing it on and it was pushing it. And so I think when the crowd comes back, it will it'll quite obviously change, you know, the narrative of games and it will have a small bit more of effect, you know, even adding to the nerves of players when they're taking shots. So, you know, I think when you do see the, the crowds coming in over the next while, it will add a course to the atmosphere, but also to how players are, are, are actually playing the game. Yeah, I was going to talk about Limerick here now, but you've just met, mentioned Matthew O'Hanlon. Uh, Michael, that sending off was outrageous. He, like, that man did nothing. Neil McManus was the aggressor. For, for, for me, it looked like he was just trying to push, his, push him down on the ground by his head because, you know, he was charging at him and he got sent off. Yeah, oh, I'd be sick if it was Matthew O'Hanlon. Uh, like, Neil, Neil McManus instigated the whole thing. <laughs> he charged at him and, like, I'm not right. Matthew O'Hanlon did catch the helmet and he did pull it, so by the rules of the law he should be sent off but all he was doing was dragging him down as he was being charged and Neil Commandus actually was a very lucky boy he struck a few few of the lads with, with the hurl afterwards not not only did he instigate it he hit a few lads with the hurl after he was very lucky and then he had a huge part to play in getting the draw he caught a great ball he got a great point and he set up the goal all after he should have been sent off so like uh, uh, Matthew Hanlon should feel very hard done boy yeah, what do you think of that, Paul? Are you, or do you do you think he was just trying to push his head down? You can't push his head down without touching his helmet. Yeah, this is it. Um, look, unfortunately for Matthew Hanlon, the rule is the rule of that. You know, you put your hand towards the helmet and you pull at it. Um, and look, Neil McManus highlighted as well. He came up and he was pointing at the helmet straight away. The yeah, linesman yeah. was in front. He was kind of leaving the linesman and the referee with no with no doubt or leaving him with no choice but to send off um, Matthew Hanlon. And but like Mick said, you'd be feeling fairly aggrieved because. Sure, he was charged. Like Neil McManus was going at him and going at him, and like Mick said, I think I think Neil McManus was lucky to stay on the pitch. He I can't remember which Wexford player went to rise the ball a few minutes later, and Neil McManus actually came in and shouldered him into the head as he was rising. It was a you know a dangerous enough tackle, and I think I don't know um, did it influence the the next decision of when he was actually sent off because when he was sent off it was actually quite harmless. You know he left yeah. the hurdle too long, but I think if you look back. The tackle he actually did in the Wexford lad, again, the blood was up. I don't think Neil McManus went in with any great intent, but he was on a yellow at this stage. And 
you know, if I went in and did that on a player, I'd be expecting at least a yellow anyway. So um, I think he was lucky to probably stay on the pitch as long as he did. But he certainly, you know, when he went to Matthew O'Hanlon, he knew what he was at when the, the helmet was pulled. I think he was seeing dollar signs in the eyes. He said, brilliant. And he highlighted to the linesman, highlighted to referee. And unfortunately, look, the referee had no choice. Hand on the helmet, you have to send him off. Yeah, exactly. The cheek of McManus after being the instigator of the whole thing to start waving around with his helmet. Like, I mean, Matthew O'Hanlon just tried to, just tried to defend himself. And of course, then Davy and Gleason go at it on the line. Like, I mean, this Davy, like, he, he's, he's a loose cannon. I don't mind. Like, it's a great bit of drama anyways. And we need characters like Davy, um, in the game as far as I'm concerned. He said, he said after the game, I have a huge desire in me to win and I don't care. I want to win. I don't think that will change. And if you take that fight out of the dog, you're in trouble. And then he explains what the fight was about, which it was, it's fairly obvious anyways. He said it was a line ball. He thought it was out. I didn't think it was out. I could be wrong and I would be the first one to say I'm wrong. Can you believe this, Mick? They're arguing over a feckin' line ball. I can with Dave, you know. <laughs> yeah. Look, like, he uses it as a tool to, to motivate his players, but he has to, he has to learn himself because... Like, how can you give out to one of your players for being a discipline? And Wexford actually lost their discipline in the last second half of the game. They gave away an awful lot of city frees. And he has to lead by example. Look, I don't mind. I like when managers go out of it. It's funny to watch. Yeah. I laughed at Gleason. <laughs> His demeanour was very funny. You know, just the arms crossed. And he played acute. He got pushed. And, and Davey got the line. But I just think Davey... For, for his own players, I, I love the motivation. I, lo- I like his shouting. I love his passion. I just think he has to learn a bit. He can't be getting the gate because he can't really give out to his players then for, for, for them losing their discipline, you know. And they did in that second half. They gave away a few needless frees and gave Antrim uh, a few a few scores that they shouldn't have got throughout the game. So, and I think he has to look look at his own free taker because we've seen it with we've seen it down the line again and again where the few missed frees they're going to cost them badly in championship and. That's that second half. They should have been six, seven clear at the end, and they and they weren't. Down, and that was down to the freeze. Yeah, I, I like. I mean, just to go back to Davy, like he clearly can't can't control his temper, uh, Paul. But I, I disagree with Michael there saying that you know it's to motivate his players. I don't think it is. I think he just kind of loses the plot a little bit. Like I mean, I do accept against Tipperary the time with Jason Ford. I would maybe accept his excuse. I think he admitted that he was trying to. Uh, rile up his players that day but they were winning by five points when he starts losing his cool at this stage like I mean uh, do you think that's planned or do you think like you can see him he's clearly just losing his temper yeah no I, I'd agree with Mick I think it's planned to be honest um, really yeah look I mean if you see the interview with Davy after the game he said look if a few different decisions went their way they could have been eight or ten points up in the first half and the game was completely different I think that shows you what Davy thinks of these small decisions like that's how he sees them and like if you look at the first part where he got riled up and and uh, the, the referee came into him it was a line ball now in fairness to him I'd argue the same for my team it was a kind of a 50-50 yeah. uh, Wexford lad knocked it out of, or Antrim lad knocked it out of Wexford lad hand Antrim got the line ball and he was arguing for it and he was fighting and the referee thought about it talked to the linesman they could have got that decision you know and Davy looks at it, those things as you know maybe if we got those few things we could get a break and we could win the match if you look go back I think it was Salt Hill in 2019 they were playing Galway and he got sent off in that game as well if you look at the times he ends up getting sent off okay there's high pressured situations but what seems to be doing is you know he'll come down like he's 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 a very I suppose emotive leader. Like he'll go out and he'll be shouting at the players, trying to rile them up. But he's also distracting from what's happening on the pitch. Um, Antrim are coming back at Wexford at this stage. He came down to the pitch. 
kind of riled the lads up, was trying to maybe take the sting out of the Antrim attack, got sent off. But sure, I mean, he was still influencing the game. Like, I mean, he got sent off, but sure, he was still in the stand. He came onto the pitch at half time. He was <laughs> off a break. He was down talking to the players. So, like, was he sent off? I mean, he, he, was, he was still able to talk to the players. So I think he knows what he's doing. Again, I don't hold it against him. He, that's just the way he sees a, a way he can influence the game. And it's worked for him before. So I think, to be honest, he might hold on to it going forward in the future. Yeah, he pushed Darren Gleeson. You see, I don't know how he's supposed to influence his players in a positive way by getting sent off because he's not on the line anymore. I do accept up in Antrim because of the way the ground is. But in Croke Park, you wouldn't be able to come back down for a water break. I think he got thrown back off the field in the second water break when he came down. But I don't know, what benefits does he get out of it? Because in my, in my experience, we were always told, leave the referee alone or he'll play against you. Do you know what I mean? Davey obviously believes in the philosophy is give the referee enough shit and you'll get something in his head and he'll give you a big decision later on, Mick. Yeah, well, I'd say he's saying to his players, when you leave the ref to me, oil the wall, draw and shouting and use play. So, like, it's always him at the ref and the linesman, you know? Like, you don't often see the Wexford players at it, but he's always at it. So, I'd say he probably does give that information to his team saying, look, oil the wall, draw and shouting. Um, but I just don't think it works that well. Like, I know he's trying to G them up, but... I honestly don't think it works and you should concentrate more on, on, on setting Wexford up with a small margin. Like Paul Dry, when he got sent off, there was only a wall there stopping him. There was no difference between being on the line and being <laughs> zero difference. So it didn't really help his team too much at all. But um, in the future, he, he just has to be more careful because he can't put hands on anybody. And again, I, I think it's a message he puts across oil the wall, the roar and the shout. But I don't yeah. think. I can't see. Wexford are pumped up for this game, Woody. Like you've seen the very first score they got and the very first foul they got. They were fist pumping and cheering. And I think Davey might have set the tone for the for the game, saying we want this, and it's a tough place to go, and it's going to be a bit intimidating. And Wexford were g'd up from the start, you know. So it makes Antrim's performance all the more all the better. Yeah, Galatasaray, according to Brendan yeah. Cummins, uh, Paul. That's where that's what what it's like going up to going up to Corrigan Park. Um, come here, we'll move on from that one because Limerick are officially back in business. And I have to start off with Keelan Lynch's interview with Air Lads. He 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 got mad at the match. He gave a great interview. He's a likable sort of a fella, and he said that he still had a lot of wintering to get off him. Now, if Keelan Lynch's definition of wintering well is obviously a lot different than mine, Paul, because like I mean, this lad is an absolute beast of a man. All the Limerick lads are the chests on them, even. Yeah. The young, new, the new young lad, wing back, Cochlin, another man, big chest. They all look like rugby players, these lads. So I don't know what wintering well does. I don't think Keen Lynch drinks or smokes or anything. I wonder what he does. He eats too much ice cream or something, Paul. I think his version of wintering is when he drops down to a six pack <laughs> instead of just having the full eight pack. Keen Lynch's version, whereas I, you know, the rest of us have the full keg when we're in the winter. But uh, no, uh, yeah, look, look, I mean, he knows himself well. Maybe how he's feeling on the pitch and how he's moving, he might be saying one thing or another. But um, look, he's in incredible shape. And like you said, every single one of those Limerick lads, um, like, you know, you see Cochrane there as well coming on. For all the world, it was Dermot Burns or Kyle Hayes going up the sideline. He couldn't get over to these as we're in leave inserts, you know. Um, yeah. And they're specimens of men on the pitch. But uh, look, Keen Lynch, if he's not in a bad place for if he thinks he's still winter or he's still getting winter off him at the moment. But uh, look, they're all in great condition. Maybe he's been a bit modest. Maybe he's uh, been a bit humble. I'm not sure. But they're all in incredible condition. Um, and they're all putting pressure on each other at the moment, which is which is a significant thing. Anyone they seem to bring on, and they're changing around their forward line, they're changing around their positions, and each player that comes in is performing. So it's a brilliant pace for John Kiley to be. You know, I see Peter Casey on there, Pat Ryan the weekend. Um, like, you know, there's lads just hurling well all over the pitch. Anyone who's coming on is getting their chance. So 
brilliant for, for, for John Kiley and brilliant for the team as a whole because or the panel because they're putting pressure on each other and there's no shortage of options. Young players, old players, they're just all playing well and they're all in great shape. So they're they're in incredible an incredible place at the moment. Yeah, I don't fancy John Kiley's job picking that back line with all the options um, he has in it. We can't talk about this match, Mick, without talking about Cork's shambolic puckout strategy in the first half. Now, like, I mean, this just wasn't good enough as far as I'm concerned. How many points and goal, like Pat Ryan could have had a goal off a turnover. Boylan could have had a kick goal off a straight turnover. How many points did he get off the turnover? And it was very clear from the very first one, Mick, that Limerick were up for this. Limerick were targeting this short puckout. And when two of them went astray... I wouldn't care if my manager didn't tell me to. I ain't doing it again. Yeah. Like, they obviously spoke in, in depth in the Cork camp to Patrick Collins about, look, stick to this rule. But we spoke about this two weeks ago, Willie, that Cork were moving well, but it's going to feed into Limerick's game plan completely and how physical Limerick's forward line are tackling. Like, I couldn't believe what they were doing again and again and the amount of turnovers they had. Now, look, they had players there that won't be there in championship. But... Like if you're looking at that video and you're Patrick Collins, you have to say to yourself, where are we going to go? Because if you don't go short, the way, the way they have been playing, they haven't got the half-forward line to hit the long ball, and you're hitting the ball to the best half-back line in the country at the moment. So they have serious, serious homework to do. For me, they have to pull Limerick's half-back line all over the place and not have a 50-50 aerial ball and have a ball that the likes of Robbie O'Flynn is sprinting across and coming short for it because they can't play out of that defence in four weeks' time. They'll get destroyed again. So they really have to have, I think, a really mobile half-forward line running across the pitch, pulling Limerick's half-back line all over the place. I think that's the only answer, because they won't win it aerially, and they won't go short. So um, it's, it's loads of homework for Patrick Collins. But say <laughs> he's dreading four weeks' time, because where, where do you go on that team to, to get easy bookouts? It's, it's, it's a nightmare. Yeah, well, look, like, I mean, the very obvious here, Paul, is that either they bring back a sweeper and have a spare man back there because Limerick probably won't follow him up. You know, like you were explaining here, it'd be seven against five, seven on seven against five on five. At least you have a spare man then to work with or or else you start picking half hours that can win, you know, some sort of high ball. Like, I mean, they're actually doing neither at the moment. Yeah, and, and they're taking their time as well. They're, like, if you're doing a quick puck out there or a sharp puck out, you're nearly better off if you can do it quick enough and not give the other team time to reset. Like, Limerick were yeah. running around resetting, doing what they wanted, and then Cork were going taking the puck out and taking it short. Like, you have to give yourself as many options as possible. Um, if, you know, if I was the Cork team, and maybe they have to plan for it in the next few weeks, you know, you'd be saying to your half hour line, first of all, put the pressure on the half hour line. Say, look, lads, if you want to be playing there, you're going to have to win a few puck outs or you're going to have to be fighting and at least don't let the Limerick lads win them. Um, you know, pull in together in around centre forward and make the break out. We've seen many teams, particularly Limerick, doing it over the last few years. But you're just going to ask questions. Like, don't not ask questions of the Limerick team. Don't set up and, you know, Limerick look like the ones in control the weekend, not Cork. It's your puck out. You, you should be in control, not them. Yeah. So I think, you know, Cork should be going away from going, right, if we're going to do the short puck out, you know, we need to be able to go long as well because if we go short every single time, well, Limerick will just set up in a, in a position to squeeze us and they will squeeze us, turn over the ball. I think they had 10 shots in eight minutes, um, which <laughs> is your is your first indication, like from, from the ball being thrown in, if after eight minutes in any scenario, they've had 10 shots, you're going, well, we have to change something here. So I think if Cork really want this short game to work, um, 
they have to go long and they have to make going long an actual realistic option that Limerick don't think they're just going to puck it long to try and distract from the short puckouts. They have to have, you know, more than just the short puck out. We're going to go with this. They need to have more to it than, than just simply forcing the issue with the short puck out. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's too predictable. And anyways, uh, Michael, when you, when you have a tactic that's very, very obvious, the other teams have plenty of time to target it and they did target it. And now Cork are almost back to the drum board. I would, Limerick kind of drop into zones, Michael, because whenever somebody gets, especially if it, at the cornerback, they might let him have it and then kind of descend on him. But Limerick kind of put their players into zones that whenever if somebody's to get it, even in the half back line, saying the cornerback gets it and then he goes to the half back line. Limerick almost have three men around that fella immediately. You know, yeah. they, whatever way they're, they're not standing beside their men. They're standing in areas of the field that, enough of them can get across to a fella, you know, and they seemed really up for it. Like even Keen Lynch setting the tone really early, stuck a Corkman out over the sideline. And I, I don't know, that short poker, and they're so big and strong then, Michael, as well. You can't actually go past the man to create that overlap. I know. And like, if you look at like Cork's old game with the O'Connors, they weren't big men, but they, their movement in the half hour line created chances to give them the puck out. And like Cork have that pace, like Dara Fitzgibbon, Kingston, Robbie O'Flynn, they have really, really fast players who can move across that line and the Limerick half-back line won't like it. Like, you normally, you don't see Dermot Burns on the opposite side of the pitch. You always see him on his side of the pitch. Yeah. You have to drag him across. And that option for the short ball where the forward comes out and gets in front from rather than high, that's, that's, that's for me, is the only game plan Cork can go with if they want to beat Limerick. So, they have the players, they have the pace, but they're not using it at the moment. Yeah. It was working early in the league. But it won't work from championship because, every, as you say, Willie, everyone knows what they're going to do. And if you press them and put pressure, it will, it will collapse. So I definitely think that's the way forward. Use their pace. They have, they probably have more pace than any other team in the country, you know, on the forward line. The problem with uh, Limerick, Paul, and I've seen them live uh, plenty of times, is that they don't follow the half forward line when they go off running. They all stand, the, the three lads will stand in their positions and the half forward line might come into different areas, but Limerick have all dropped back half a line. So if the half forward yeah. line move up towards midfield, Willie O'Donoghue, Dara Donovan and the Limerick half forward line are all in around that area. Do you know what I mean? It's a, yeah. I, I think they're the most difficult team to devise a poke out strategy around. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. And look, that's what that's where the bar is now. They're after setting the bar. A big thing for me with Limerick, and I just anything they, they seem to do, they just know exactly what they're about and they know what they're doing. There's no confusion at all, whether it's open play, whether it's puck outs, they just know what they're about. And which is yeah. a huge thing for any team to be able to say, like regardless of the scenario, car going short, car going long, whatever, they knew what way they were setting up. And like you said, Dermot Burns doesn't have to move. Like, I mean, any defender who doesn't have to move is absolutely delighted. You're happy to stay in your position. But they know that, look, if if my man runs across the pitch, I'm staying here. Simple as that. And if someone comes into my area, I look after him grand. And like you said, they have the lads in front of them protecting them then. And they're just a kind of a case. And they seem to have the attitude as well of, we'll just win the ball. Just win the ball the whole time. Everything is so simple in many ways with them. We're going to work hard. We know what our jobs are. We're going to win the ball. And once we win it, if you just look around the pitch, like the nearest people to them, there's lads moving towards them, there's lads moving away, there's lads running off the shoulder. The fellow who has his back to the goal knows I don't have to break the tackle here because I have runners off either shoulder. Pop it to the man who's actually facing the goal and off we go. So they just know what they're about all over the pitch. And that's where the bar is now. The bar is set at that. So it's down to teams now to go, okay, ask questions. What will be a scenario here that will ask questions of this Limerick team? And if you can if you can do that, it's not easy, but if you can do that, that's your job now to try and beat this Limerick team. 
Yeah, no, it definitely is. Like, there was an element of shadow boxing uh, Mick with Cork. Let's be honest, they, they picked a very young team. Only Damien Cahillan was over 24 years of age. So Limerick will have, Cork will have learned a lot, whereas Limerick didn't beat Cork's, you know, best team. And now Cork have learned those short puckouts. I think, in a weird way, will Cork have gotten more out of the game than Limerick? No, I don't. I don't think. Like, I don't think Limerick are bothered with learning curves like this. I think they just go out, and that's the exact game plan they'll have in four weeks' time, Willie. And yeah, if, if they implement like that, it's going to be the same scoreline. Like, the worrying part is, like, say their best playmaker is Mark Holman. He was so occupied with Kane Lynch, he couldn't set anything up from defence. He couldn't get on ball. He couldn't do what he normally does because he couldn't let him go. Well, like, Kane Lynch had three points in the first ten minutes. And he had to push up on him. He couldn't sit back and play his normal game where he's going to sweep across. And that's still going to be a problem in four weeks' time because he, for me, you'll have to release Mark Coleman. You can't have him Mark McKean and like that. So it's actually going to create more headaches for Kingston because, he, for me, you want to play him on the wing and not have him so occupied and running around. But if he plays in the wing, he's going to be on, say, Garrod Hegarty. Like, you know? And you can't leave him again. So... They cork want their playmakers setting up scores from their half-back line and they're so occupied with, with their players. It's actually created more headaches for Cork for me because Limerick know exactly what they're going to play. As Carl said, they have a lot set up for a lot short and long, whereas Cork don't know now. They're going to have way more questions in four weeks' time and how to yeah. get players on the ball. I've said it before here on the show, Paul. Cork's system is perfectly set up to use a sweeper to go with seven backs. Yeah, um, yeah, it is, and 100%. And, you know, we were we were sitting here a few weeks ago talking about Mark Coleman saying, I think it was in the water match, saying, look, it's incredible how well he played. And Mick said it there, you know, he w- he didn't have the influence at all at the weekend. Um, you know, I think Kieran Kingston will be looking at that saying, we can't not have Coleman in the game. He has to have influence. And like you said, they are set up. They, you know, they, they could use that, that, that sweeper in the backs. But, you know, I, I, in a funny way, I'd kind of be saying... It, I'd agree with you, Wooly, there, in that, you know, Cork aren't actually in a bad position, I don't think myself, going forward in four weeks, because they're after getting a small bit of a kick up the arse, to be honest, here now this weekend. You know, they have their work cut out for them. They didn't put out their full team, but they, a few of the younger lads stood up, like, you know, it was a Jack O'Connor got 2-1. A few of the lads stood up there, like, you know, so they're kind of looking in four weeks' time going, we have a huge amount of work to do. Whereas if they went out the weekend, and it would have been great, I suppose, for Kieran Kingston if they did put in a big performance, but... You know, they're kind of, I suppose, they could be a little bit sore now after the weekend and they could be a little bit of bite in them. So, look, we've seen Cork cause Limerick serious problems and beaten them in championship over the last few years. So, I would kind of have a, a, I think they're kind of dark horses still. You know, they can't, we were talking about them a few weeks ago that they were a great team and they're moving well. I still think that in four weeks' time, we will see a different performance and they know the questions. Like, well, you'd like to think they know the questions they're going to have to ask at Limerick now. So, I'd be kind of, holding a small bit of hope here for Cork that in four weeks' time, they could come with something that Limerick might be expecting. And if if there's any, I suppose, hesitancy in that Limerick group that they think they're going to go out and do the same thing to Cork that happened this weekend, that could be that could be the rock they perish on. Now, we could be talking here in four weeks and they could have bet them by 15 points. We don't know. But I still think Cork aren't in a bad position going ahead for four weeks' time. You know, they rested their big players. They might have a bit of a sting in the tail now come four weeks' time. So I suppose we'll wait and see. Yeah, exactly. We'll wait and see. Kieran Kingston made that speech. I'm not going to ask you about this, Paul. You've probably never heard one of these speeches in your life. Mick, you, me and you have. Kieran Kingston says, basically, we said at half time, let's go out and try and win the second half. You know you're in big trouble when your manager's saying that to you, Michael. Oh, the horrible thing. <laughs> all demoralising, you know, and I have been told that on many occasions. But uh, yeah, it's, it's awful. Look, it's about showing character. Like, you know, at that stage, it is like you can't go out and, and, and lay in your backs and let them do whatever they want. But 
how much do you learn as well? Like Limerick took their foot off the gas a little bit and were playing around with the ball. But as Paul said, like the, the highlights for Cork for me were they could open Limerick up. Like they should have had four goals. Um, they missed two easy enough opportunities in front of the goal. So the goal chances are there and they will be there in four weeks' time. And that was with Cork playing per- fairly poorly. So like with their pace and going through the middle, they can hurt they have, they can hurt Limerick just to have to have more confidence and a bit more composure on the ball because they should have had two more goals in front of the goal. And that'd be a worry for John Coyley watching that game that they got opened up a few times. So um, it's one big positive take for Kingston, but I, I definitely hate that, that speech at halftime. Oh, it's, it's absolutely desperate. And it's very hard mentally to go out and nearly say, right, this is a new game, even though you're down by 15 points and go out and try and win uh, the second half. Clare had a good win over Dublin. Um, this was another good game. It, it, did it boil down to a tactical change at half time? I think uh, Brian Lowen was saying Dara Gray was a big outlet for them in the first half. They must have got six or seven puckers to Dara Gray on his own. At his ease, he got them. We couldn't really allow him to be dominating the game the way he was. So we pushed up on him um, in the second half. This is almost a little bit kind of get into your mind about Cork. You know, if you play an extra sweeper, you'll have an extra man for a puck out and make your life a little bit easier. And then then Limerick would have to decide to push up. Maybe I don't want to. I don't want to go back to talking about Limerick again, Paul. But Claire obviously had the the brains to to you know tweak it at half time. Yeah, look, they just recognised the problem there and like Dara Gray will go and hurl if you let him hurl, you know, and he, he did get, uh, I don't know what he got the weekend, but he was he was popping up getting scores there. So, you know, it, it was just that thing, I suppose, of that sometimes you can have a plan in a match, doesn't really work out and another player steps up and it's causing a problem. But, it, you know, fair play to Lowen and, and Claire. They recognise the problem. They recognise that, you know, there's a player here causing hassle. Well, look, might as well step up and it change what we're doing here because it's not fully working here at the moment. They changed it um, and, and they really pushed up and, you know, they reaped the benefits. They really started moving in the second half. So, yeah, like you said, it seems, sometimes it's, it's as simple as that. Just recognise the problem, push up on them, stamp out the problem and we'll launch from there. And that's what Claire seemed to do. It worked really well and, look, a great win because um, we always found it tough going to Parnell Park. I suppose Parnell Park with a, with a crowd is a different beast altogether. But any time you go to Parnell Park, and get some sort of a result, it's brilliant because Dublin always play well in Parnell Park and they really, they're, they're always fired up for it. So um, for Clare to go there and get a win, especially after the last few weeks, it's a big one for them and especially ra- racking up such a big score. So I think Lowen and, and Clare will be, will be happy enough after this weekend. Yeah, no, it's a very good one. I'll have to ask you this one, uh, Mick, you might have the inside line. Does Keane Boland have some sort of a goal celebration where he taps his helmet or am I reading too much into that? I watched it, William, myself, and I thought, like, I, I just think you were saying stay mentally switched on. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was saying, what was, he, what was he doing there? Like, you know, now he's flashy enough, young lad, and he's a great hurler. But I, was, I watched that myself. I don't know what it's about, but I'm just, I'm just guessing you were saying stay switched on, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you see that in the soccer as well where they're pointing to their brain? Yeah. They're pointing to their brain. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't get a clatter. Anyway, he's he's actually a very direct player, isn't he, Paul? Like, I mean, he has a he, he's he's a direct style. He came on the last day and and really showed that, and he he had, he had per, a lot of persistence to break through um, for his goal. Yeah, he's lively, and 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 you saw him like like you said, he caught the ball, turned straight for goal, and he got hooked. He tried to do the, the kind of the overhead Colin Finley job or whatever he yeah. wants to call it, and got hooked. Ball came down, slapped it into the goal, and it's funny you're saying that about tapping the helmet. I just thought it's Tanto Halpin straight away, and now obviously I'm showing me age there, but running out <laughs> after scoring a goal and telling everyone to calm down. But uh, yeah, look, see, players seem to be kind of doing it at the moment. He's a good hurler, and he seems to be a great lad as well. So um, look, I mean, he, he seems to be the kind of player that. 
Dublin can either kind of start him or throw him on, but he, you know, he just bursts the gut when he comes on and he, he does his best and he pops up at score. So, you know, he, in fairness to him now, great goal, worked hard. And, and like Mick said, I'm surprised he didn't get a clatter in at the goal there when he was uh, with, with the Mount of Clare lads that had him surrounded. But um, no, in fairness, great goal. So he did well. Yeah, well, O'Donnell can't complain about his sending off anyway, Mick. He lost his hurl, got completely pissed off and just decided to go over and clatter into Shane O'Donnell. Like, I mean, the referee must have thought that wasn't a goal-scoring opportunity. Like, how is that not a penalty? Yeah, I know. It was close, Willie. Uh, you could just see the frustration in Alan O'Donnell. Like, I was loving that battle that he was having and he was hurling great. But he's liable to do that, you know. When he lost the hurl, when, when the ball went in the air, he lost the hurl. And then it was like the second he was going over the tackle, it was, don't do it, don't do it. And um I was, it was a straight, like straight yellow. Like there was no complaints. There can't, there can't be any complaints from Dublin camp. We just need more players like on just hurling from the front and coming out because at the moment, I, like with Maddie Kenny, I'm just not seeing it with Dublin. I'm not seeing the game plan. When I seen the starting lineup, I was a little concerned. Again, midfield, you had James Madden and and Chris Crummy's just been moved all over the place trying to figure solutions. And I've been worried about Dublin's midfield for a long time and. Like James Madden is an honest, hard-working hurler, but he's not going to pop up and get you two or three points for play. And when you see the other combinations for their counties in midfield, or you could get six, seven points from that from that position. You're just not getting it from Dublin. Um, so I'm just not seeing it. Like when they sent the ball in directly, the trolley and Ronan Hayes, they were hurting there, and that just wasn't happening enough. Like, and it's not the full forwards line because the ball just wasn't going in. Dublin's half forward line come out so deep to get the ball. They're just not using it correctly. They're shooting from deep. They're not giving it in. If they're coming out so deep to get the ball, there should be loads of space in front of your full forward line to, to bring the ball in. And Ronan Hayes can win it high or low. And you can see it when he gets the ball, but he's just not getting enough. So, like for Dublin and Maddie Kenny, I'm just very concerned that they can't, they haven't finalised the starting team yet. For Wexford next week, I want to see their their championship team, the team he's going to go forward with, and they need a result because you could, you could, it's all you could pick the wins they're going to get this year against Leash Antrim. And they've lost to everyone else that you think they were going to lose. So, loads of work for Dublin at the moment. You you mentioned Chris Crummy there. So he play, I was reading the report. I didn't see this one. So he he played at midfield and he dropped the centre back and let uh, let Connor Burke do the sweeping. Yeah, is that, is that what happened? Connor Burke's, Connor Burke's good in that role. But like again, if you're Chris Crummy, you want to be put somewhere and know where you're playing. At the moment, he's just put like you're going your half forward today, your midfield today, and then you're back in the half back line. And you can see it in his hurling because. He's taking pot shots where he shouldn't, and then other times he should shoot. He's passing it, and just for his own mind, said he's too important for Dublin to to not have him being consistently good. And I can't blame him because he's been put everywhere in the pitch. Um, so it's just a huge problem for Dublin at the moment because at this stage of the year, you should have like I know teams are trying players, but Dublin are trying players because they haven't found their team yet. They're not just giving lads a chance; they just don't know who who's going to be playing at the moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kilkenny are tipping along nicely, uh, Paul. Brian Cody was interviewed after the, the match in his mask. He loves that Kilkenny mask. I presume he's vaccinated. Maybe he's just sentimental about it. <laughs> I, think, I think it's like the hat now. It's the mask is like <laughs> Brian Cody, so I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah maybe just for interviews he'll wear it because he might be smirking while he's telling you lies and it's just to, co- <laughs> just to cover his face. But he's talking about Richie Lahey, Walter Walsh, Niall Brasil, Kieran Wallace. They've made some progress. They're out in the pitch hurling the other night, so we might potentially get some game time into them over the next weekend. The reason uh, the reason we hope it'll be difficult to pick the team this year is the quality of competition for places. And they've loads of players to come back. They seem to be just cruising through this league, Paul, beating anybody in front of them. Now they might have a bench because they're trying out so many players. And that maybe that would be a criticism of Kilkenny, that they don't have enough 
kind of you know players that can influence the game off the bench. Yeah, yeah, I think they've they've learned learned a lot from this uh, from this league definitely, and I think really the weekend you know against Leash. Um, again, it goes back to even kind of what we're saying about Limerick. Kilkenny showed like they knew what they were about at the weekend. Every time they got a ball, they were very confident on it and they knew where they wanted to go with the ball. They knew what way they wanted to work it out. And at the same time, they were flinging in long balls. Like, kind of, that would have been something that we would have always talked about that there's, when in doubt, there's no such thing as a bad ball to the edge of the box and get it in there and, you know, keep asking questions of, of, of the opposition. So they were moving really well. And, you know, the likes of Owen Cody there had a great game. You look the last day, Alan Murphy had a brilliant game. James, James Bergen had a great game again uh, this weekend. He was taken off the week before. Um, the, you know, Corker and a wing back again. So, you know, lots of lads in lots of positions hurling really well. And like you said, we haven't even talked about Walter Welch at this stage. Connor Laney still coming back from an injury. Richie Hogan. You know, there's loads of players. TJ wasn't playing. And I think significantly enough, you know, TJ wasn't playing. But Owen Cody stepped in and, and filled that mantle there. And you had Billy Ryan moving well around him. So, and even Adrian Mullen is starting to look like he's getting a bit more strength into the legs and he's, he's getting that confidence back as well. So I think, yo, Kilkenny will be happy enough. It's, it's a good leash side and a leash side that can ask questions of you. So learned a lot definitely during the league. And I think, you know, Brian is right. You know, they'll be looking. It's going to be a tough team to pick over the next while. There will be players disappointed, but that's what you want to have. Similar to what Mick was saying there, I mean, Dublin probably don't know who they want to play yet at the moment. Whereas Kilkenny are probably in a different position, and they have a small, they might have a small bit of trouble of deciding, you know, who who is actually going to play. So that's what every team wants to be in in the position at the moment. And I think Brian isn't lying when he's saying that that they, hopefully they will have problems in picking the team in a few weeks. Yeah, no, TJ Reid, like you were saying, he was rested against Leash and Antrim. So that's smart management, I suppose, by Brian Cody, uh, Mick. Like, he's so important to them. I know when Cody came on the freeze, um, you know, and did well. But, like, I mean, resting TJ for the couple of weeks that, you know, where to be expected to win, it's just smart way of making sure that your, your, your main man is all right. Oh, yeah, like a tired TJ is hard to mark, but he never went a fresh one. So he's going to like the when he comes back. Um, it, it's smart man management. Um, I'd be very impressed. Like no one's really talking about Kenny. Like they're cruising along and that they've beaten everyone quite handily, and they have players to come back into that squad. So like, Kenny are in a really, really good place for championship for me. Um, I'm feeling for Cheddar. Like Leash are, Leash are working extremely hard. They're like in fairness to them, they didn't stop. They didn't stop battling, which I expect from any team with Cheddar involved. Uh, PJ Scully should have had a goal to put them four points in it. It was a great. Yeah, that was, that was a very bad miss, really. Like this level, you have to score that. I know yeah. Cody, or Owen, Owen Murphy made a brilliant save. Yeah, it was, it was, that was a smashing save. Like Owen Murphy's a great goalkeeper, but like the commentator said, he bounced it and he didn't bounce it and he hit it low. He should have bounced it. Like if, if he bounced it from that distance, it'd be virtually impossible to stop. So, Look, it's something obviously PJ Scully will work on himself because if you're one on one from that distance, it has to be in the back of the net. And that would have put four in it, but he would have changed the game completely, you know? Yeah. It's like there are some positives for Leash. The Picky Marr played wing back. He's back. That was an, an interesting one. I didn't see this game, but it'd be interesting to see him playing uh, wing back. Willie Dunphy came on. Anna Lyons came on. They've been out uh, for a good while. Ryan Milani. Um, he came on too. John Lennon, Chad Dwyer, Podge Delaney, they're all apparently going to be back for the championship. It's just, look, I do feel for Cheddar a little bit, Paul, because obviously a new manager coming in, it's a whole different panel of players to the one he was used to before. He's got very little time with them. Cheddar would be quite tactical. And, you know, when maybe, you know, it's very difficult to get that all ironed out 
when you've got very little time and then you don't have your first team and they're just taking beating after beating. Now they're in a, a relegation match, which is a bit of a disaster for Leash club club hurling because that's on feckin' in August before an All-Ireland semi-final. So, like, I mean, we still have the county final from last year to play and that's yeah. just messing that up as well. So, I don't know, there, there doesn't seem to... Well, I've, I've listed out some positives, I suppose, but, like, I mean, I don't, like, Leash are out against Wexford in the championship and they wouldn't be favourites to win that. Like, you know, it's, it could turn out to be a very poor year for Leash yeah it could turn out to be a year where they kind of just drift through it and not really achieve anything and especially after the last few years you know Leash have really made some real steps on and uh, really encouraging and the core of that team is still there you know Paddy Purcell and these lads they're still there so like they're they're a very solid team and they're not a team that anyone takes for granted um, and that goes without saying they're, they are a good team and they've great players they've players there that there's only a small bit of a border between um, ourselves and them and there's lads just at the other side of that border Chad Wire and these lads you know and we'd certainly love to have them over this side of the border and that you know and that's 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 a fair compliment to them lads. Um, but yeah, look again, Cheddar. I suppose we'll be looking at it going. Again, there's a little bit of unsurety there. They're maybe not playing with the edge that they were playing with over the last few years, and just trying to get that back into lads as well. But look again, it, it's it's a tough place for Leash to be in a place they didn't want to be. Um, probably didn't see themselves going to be in relegation at the start of the year. But look, it's still not all lost for them at this stage. You know, they could they could muster things back up now the few lads coming back in might bolster things as well um, and then you know it's, it's not going to be an easy task they won't be favourites against Wexford but they weren't favourites against Dublin a few years ago when, when they bet them so Leash could surround something yet and look at Cheddar any man can do it Cheddar might be able to do it so hopefully now they'll be able to get things back on track for themselves but at the moment they're just kind of they just seem to be kind of drifting through at the moment the, the difference between Leash and Antrim, Michael, or the difference between Leash and Westmead, Westmead have a points difference of minus 83. They're going to play each other in the relegation match, like I said, in August. But uh, Westmead, you know, Shane O'Brien says we're delighted to be playing in these games. This is all preparation for the Joe McDonough. It's a fantastic challenge to get. And we're going to take the same approach um, against Limerick that we have so far. So, like, I mean, they're going to notice a huge difference when they go to Joe McDonough level. Like, it's going to be fucking, it's going to be like a holiday when they go back down there. And they could end up using this bad experience, you know, to go back down to a lower level where Leash kind of have to stay at that high level and, you know, are, are more taken, you know, knock after knock. Yeah, it's very hard as well to analyse Westmead, Woolly, because of the the severe beatings that they're getting, like you don't know just how good they are because they're, look, they're playing the best teams in the country at the moment. So you just don't know where they're at in their setup, and you won't find out until they play in the John McConnor and play the likes of Leash and Dublin and also, like at the moment, it's just so hard to tell where they're at. But look, they're playing such a high standard. You're right when they go down, uh, like they should be hopping off the ground and looking for victories. It's a tough season for them and it's demoralising taking these wins. Like, no matter what way Shane O'Brien spins it, you don't want to be taking beatings like that week in and week out, and it does hurt you. But as you said, like they should be dying for this for summer to come and the standard to drop a little bit, and then, then we'll see what they're about, because at the moment, you just don't know. It's so hard to analyse them, because they're, they're, they're slow to the ball, and they're, they're not getting scoring opportunities, and we're not seeing much of them at the moment, so it's difficult. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Right, lads, we'll leave it there, and we'll come back with performance of the weekend and talk about the games a bit more.
Okay, performance of the weekend and the Galway kind of performance of the weekend. We're looking at Brian Concanon, Connor Whelan, and Joe Canning. They almost get a, a, a nomination together um, because they all played so well. Now you could say Joe Canning got an awful roasting off Callum Lyons for the first 20, 25 minutes until they brought Evan Nyland on. Paul, is that was that when Joe got released away from Callum Lyons? Yeah, he certainly came into the game that small bit more then. Um, it, it's a fair testament to, to, to Caleb Lyons. I think he got five points from, from wing back. Um, yeah. and, Mark, and while Mark and Joe Canning and keeping Joe Canning quiet. But again, uh, as much as that's a compliment to Caleb Lyons, Joe Canning was nearly man of the match after that then. Like, I mean, he was flying through and doing things that, you know, his vision, even the flick through for the goal, the one-handed flick through, getting his own goal and as well. So he kind of, he ticked all the boxes really after that. Like, he was supporting players. He was getting on ball. He was, you know, knocking balls through for players, but still getting his own scores, cutting sideline, his mandatory sideline over the bar then as well. So, um, yeah, great game afterwards. But, it's funny that we're saying that Caleb Lyons had a great game and Joe Canning had a great game. Um, but in fairness, again, they identified the problem again that if they left Joe Canning there and Caleb Lyons for too long, um, Joe mightn't have had the influence. So, yeah, look, great games. And there, there seem to be good performances all over the pitch there, really, between between Galway and Waterford, more so obviously on the Galway side. Yeah, the attacking talent uh, Galway have, Concanon, Connor Whelan, Canning, you haven't even mentioned Cottle Mannion and Connor Cooney, who seems to be coming into a bit of form um, at full forward. Brian Concanon is the one that's impressed me the most, though, Mick, because we kind of know the other one, the other lads have performed, you know, and, and been really good. Concanon kind of making the breakthrough last year, but Jesus, he's, he's, he's dynamite, really, isn't he? And he's able to kind of win his own ball, take his man on, set up scores, score, score goals himself. Yeah, I agree with you, Willie, completely. He was my man in the match. He's a cornerback's nightmare. Like he never stops moving, and when he gets the ball, it's goal. That's all he thinks about. It's his first thought, and no matter where he is on the pitch, if there's someone in front of that goal, he's going to give it to them. So the defenders can never think the ball is dead, and that's what caught Waterford out twice. Like there's normally a forward in that position just sticks it over the bar, whereas his first thought always is goal, and it's great. He's been improving slowly over the last few years, but this year he's been phenomenal. And like if you're playing in that forward line and he gets the ball, that's where you're seeing so much movement because he'll give it to you. If you're 10 yards in front of that goal, he'll give the ball across the box. And that's why Galway got the two goals and, and there were two goals when they needed him most. So for me, he's been hugely influential in everything Galway do this year. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't, have you marked him, Paul? Um, I don't remember. Um, I don't really remember marking him, but like, like you know, like Mick said there, you know, I've watched him there. He's, he's a brilliant player. He's kind of this corner forward that I think managers dream of having in that he can just, he'll be in the corner there and fling him in any kind of a ball and he'll make a real honest attempt to win it. And once he does win it, you know, he'll give the corner back hardship. He'll go for goal. He'll ask questions of you. I had a great year last year as well. So um, I don't remember marking him myself, but, you know, I've just been watching him there over the last two years. And, you know, he has a real kind of, real edge about him when he plays, goes for goal, doesn't mind what way he gets the ball. And, you know, I think, you know, Galway will be looking at that going, Jesus, nearly one position sorted for us, um, that we have a kind of a scavenger in there that will win any ball he, that we want to give to him and is like is capable of popping up with two or three goals if he gets a good run at it in a game. So, um, yeah, he's going really well and I think Galway will be delighted with him in, in the form he's in. Yeah, exactly. After that Shane Bennett uh, catch, it was actually interesting when I was watching it. Galway kind of, or Waterford might have thought this was going to be a tactic and the next two went down to the half back line. Podrick Mannion won one and and Gerard McInerney won the other. And that was kind of like, there you go. That was just a a kind of a one-off. James James McNaughton and Caelan, uh, or Keelan Malloy, 
Jesus, like, I mean, we're t- you're talking there about Dublin's midfield not getting any scoring returns. So Keelan scored five points. McNaughton scored six, but three from play. That's eight points from play from your midfield. And I don't know, maybe if Hurling's going to move another kind of way forward, Mick, is it, uh, could you play two forwards in midfield and like really torture the other team? Or I don't know, like, but these two, getting eight points from play from your midfield is some return. Yeah, and what was more impressive was they were like the midfield partnership for Wexford that day was Dio Keith and Nemo McGovern. Like, yeah. the two of the most influential players and two fitness machines, and they were beaten. They were well beaten by the Antrim partnership. Like McNaughton and, and Keenan Malloy, they were comfortable on the ball. They were working, and they were, their distribution was excellent, and their their finishing then. Like so, like that's a package, and it adds so much to your to your attacking formation when you have midfielders like that who are willing to get up the pitch and support and they're obviously giving it to them all the time because they were the out ball all the time it's the reason they got eight points from play so like even Keenan Malloy's last point it was difficult it was on the sideline he knew it was going to be the last hook of the game and he had the composure to stick it over so that's a huge asset for Gleeson and for Antrim no, it definitely is. And Keelan Malloy I, I specifically remember having him down in performance of the weekend after the Clare win as well Paul yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in great form at the moment. Um, and like you said, you know, I think Antrim, again, Antrim know what they're about at the moment and know what way they want to use their players. Like eight eight points from play is no accident from midfield. Um, I think the benefit of the lads is they kind of, they support the forward line in a great way in that they make these great runs to give the option to the forwards that if you ever have to run into trouble, well, we're there for the pop pass. And, you know, the, the score at the end there where... He just ran up the right side, but what was what was brilliant was the ball broke down kind of towards a left half forward position, nearly midfield. But Antrim knew that there was going to be a runner gone up that right side, and it was instinctive. You could see the player turning that I'm going to spray this ball across into that open space. And now again, it was by no means a foregone conclusion he was going to put it over the bar, but it showed the awareness of what Antrim are doing, and that it's no accident. They know where the runners are, they know how to use the ball, and they know how to win it in trouble, first of all, but then get it out of the trouble, out to a player who's now running off the shoulder, and the midfielders are doing that for them. So, they, again, it goes back to this thing, they know what they're about, they know what way they want to play it, and it's no accident what they're doing at the moment. You know, Gleeson has them set up really well, and I think we're all enjoying it. We're loving watching Antrim, and if I was anyone going uh, broadcasting the game over the next while, you'd nearly follow Antrim, regardless of whatever team is going. Antrim are playing a great brand of hurling, great attitude. And uh, look, they're set up really well for the championship. Yeah, no, they definitely are. Jack O'Connor, probably the one bright spark for Cork. Um, he scored 2-1. His two goals were absolutely brilliant. I was really impressed with the first one. He kind of paused at the top of the back squ- backswing to make sure he was going to get a good connection on it. Yeah, he's a serious order. And the same sort of thing as Concanon. When he got it, his first thought was goal. And like, it's no easy task to... to around Limerick's full back line like you know and uh, he, he did it with ease and, and he should have had a third one the, the one he missed he stuck over the bar was probably his easiest chance so he's a huge goal threat for Cork and, and like he was always an out ball and they obviously have that game plan where they switch to play and he's that out man running in the corner and then when he gets it, he turns the corner back and goes straight for goal so um, and, and he has the composure to finish his head it was a great finish for his goal his first goal so huge asset for Cork and He's going to cause him trouble for in four weeks' time because the same men are going to be on him, you know. So and and he and he beat them. Yeah, he definitely. His, his second goal was brilliant too, uh, Paul. It was one of those smash ones. We're seeing loads of these smash um, goals now, aren't we? Obviously, you can't get hooked, but he was coming in at such a tight angle. He almost spun it. He made the bounce spin back into the goals. Did he, or am I overthinking it? 
No, I looked at it as well. I thought it was going at a funny angle when you saw there was a reverse yeah. angle, I think it was, and it looked like it probably was going to glance wide and he spun it in. Whether he meant it or not, I don't know. But it, again, it was his only option, really. He couldn't swing back. And forwards know this at the moment that, um, you know, Keen Boland did it as well, or he attempted to do it as well. So um, forwards kind of know there's a lad behind me here. They're going to get the hook. This is a good option. And as well, it makes it hard for the keeper. Like, you're throwing the ball up in the air, but you're batting it towards the ground. And it's like Mick was saying with, um, you know, the, the shot against Owen Murphy, that if he shot it into the ground, the keeper doesn't know what's going to happen. The ball could bounce up anyway. And that was yeah. the exact example of it. The ball hit the ground. In the reverse angle, looked like it could have been going wide, but just spun spun into the goal, you know. So um, it's a great way. And also, it, it helped. Like, he was coming down. He was pretty much on the end line. I mean, where do you swing the hurl at that stage? So um, he was looking sharp. Again, used it really well. And we are seeing a lot more of these goals. But I think forwards are just getting getting cleverer again on the old cornerbacks. Yeah, but then again, it's feeding in, Mick, the, the skill levels of this game are gone absolutely through the roof and they've never been as good. And players are doing things on a regular basis that might have been, you know, like people would have been in awe of them maybe 10 years ago. But we're seeing it just in one weekend. Like, I mean, Joe Canning doing the sideline, we don't, we're not even talking about that sideline very much today because he just does it so often. All these goals are of the highest, highest um, level. Yeah, it extraordinary becomes normal, William. He said it on the Sunday game last night. You just expect these sidelines to go over. Like I remember Troy Frofley in the 90s flicked the ball back into his hand and there was talk, loads of talk about it. You know, just that little flick in the middle of all the trouble. And we're seeing that every week now. Like We're seeing Keen, like the likes of Keane from uh, Keane Lynch doing it all the time. Tony Kelly, there's little flicks, there's backhand passes, there's lads flicking balls overheads. And again, you just have to appreciate it because... It's so difficult, and to do it in the heat of the battle and when you're surrounded by top players is even more impressive. So you just have to appreciate it because it does become the norm, but the skill level is becoming outrageous. You very see, rarely see a bad touch anymore. The lads don't be sprinting out to the wing and they're going to miscontrol it straight into the hand. And Again, it makes things so much easier for you if that first touch is, is up there in the high standard, you know. Yeah, Tony Kelly got 20 points. Now, there's not much more to add about Tony Kelly. I've run out of things to say about him, uh, Paul. One thing I would think is a bit, a bit of a strange one from a Dublin point of view is to give him the freedom of the park when they actually were playing a sweeper. Cause if you have a sweeper, that gives your center back, you know, the, the license to go follow him somewhere. So like, I mean, it was a strange one from Dublin. Yeah, it's and I, I think this is the the kind of anomaly that is Tony Kelly. Um, we, we would have tried to mark him over the few years. And the thing with Tony Kelly is, is that we're talking about players and other teams drifting around and supporting off the shoulder. I think Tony Kelly is just told, go where you want. You're Tony Kelly, go where you want. Follow the ball wherever you want. Because we saw against Wexford last year, you know, he was scoring points on the 14-yard line at the sideline. And then, you know, we're seeing him in matches popping up nearly in centre-back. He scored a free from nearly... I think it was inside his own 45 against Dublin and he's just running around. So you could send a player with him and it would make sense definitely to send a player, but you still have to sacrifice a really good player to follow him because when you get to that position, he's a strong player. It's not just that he's skillful, he's very strong and he has incredible amount of running in him. So you need someone that can last 70 minutes of running with Tony Kelly but you're also sacrificing a player now and probably a very good player that you could have in the back line. So it's a very tough situation for any team. And I think the one thing with Tony Kelly is that he's not the same as any other player. It's not just following any any normal inter-county player, if there is such a thing, but any normal inter-county forward. He's a different kettle of fish altogether. When he gets to a ball, you know, he could pick up that ball and run 45 yards in a zigzag and the player that's following him just looks foolish, you know. So he kind of is the exception to the man-marking thing because wherever he goes, 
um, it's not just as easy as following him around the pitch. He really is that good. Yeah, you nearly want to have one lad following him in the first half and substitute him off at half time and send a fresh lad on to follow him everywhere because I say Tony Kelly runs up some serious GPS um, times. Desi Hutchinson, Mika, we've, we've touched on his goal a little bit, but geez, it was so spectacular to catch. The catch, the courage, because there was two Galway players coming either side, they ended up smashing each, into each other and falling on the ground and he turns and sticks it into the, in off the, into the top corner off the post. Like, I mean, you'd be going a long way to see a better goal than that. Oh, it was a brilliant goal, Willie. Like, like, that catch, like, he could have got an awful of doing there because they're two big Galway men in between, he was in between. And it's the catch, it's the bravery, and his composure on the ball. Like, he has some pace, and he turns on a dime. He goes, like, he can stop and turn, and it's an absolute nightmare as a defender because, as they said last night, you, you could get turned quite easily if you're too close to him, and you can't let him go because he, the pace of the pace of him. But the finish after it, because... He caught it, he had the composure to look up, he looked at options, and then the finish was unreal. Like, he's a brilliant hurler, I love watching him, he has all the attributes. He could play anywhere in the pitch, you could have him out half forward or half back, he has all the attributes of a great hurler, but I, lo- I love watching him, he's so exciting to watch him. I suppose if Milan scored that, people would be raving about it for weeks, and they got, you don't see a better goal than that. Like throughout the years, it was exceptional. Yeah, Caleb Lyons obviously five points from wing back. I don't know, Paul. How do you think Waterford will be feeling? They obviously coughed up two four just before half time, which was the difference between the teams. But like they were well able to compete. I thought they played some very nice hurling. Yeah, they did. It's a small bit of a confusing one because if you know if you told Waterford what they were going to score before the match, they would have told you, "Oh, we're going to win this one fairly well." Um, but they did cough up a lot. I think it was just a reflection of the game. You know, Galway coughed up a lot also in that in, in that way. Um, but look, Waterford. I think there was there was a lot more positives for Waterford to take than there was negatives. But they will still be looking that you know they conceded quite a lot and. And, and the goals that went in as well, you don't want to leak them in championship because regardless what you're putting over at the other end, it doesn't matter when you're conceding that much as well. Um, but I, I think it was a kind of a, a once-off, really. It just seemed to be one of those matches that both teams just went at it. There was no real regard for, um, you know, trying to park the bus or anything like that. It was just, we were going to try and out-shoot each other here. So Watford definitely won't be happy with conceding that just before half-time. Um, but... They have huge positives to look at. And I think they're just going to look at it maybe and go, OK, lads, we need to be a small bit more organised here at the back. If we're going to be putting up this score, well, we don't need to be shooting ourselves in the foot by conceding these silly scores at the other one. Not, not even silly scores. They were great scores. But you still want to be stamping it out whatever way you can to give yourself any sort of a chance in the next game. Yeah, they had a pretty strong team out as well, Mick, didn't they? Now, I think Galway, Galway pretty, had a pretty strong team out as well. So, like, I, 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 did it feel like a hammering for Waterford or what's your take on it? No, I don't think so, Willie. Really. I think they hurled really well for spells of the games, and like a few, as Paul said, a few goals were were, were against the runner play a little bit for Galway. Like I thought, I thought Waterford were great, and I don't think Liam Cal be that disappointed after the game because they hurled really well throughout the pitch. It was a very high scoring game, which I don't think I think he'd be a little bit more defensively minded come championship. Um, and he has his good players are hurling well. Austin Gleeson for me is the one sort of unknown at the moment he didn't get on much ball didn't hurl well and he gave the ball away then for Concanon's goal near the end yeah. which, which killed the game that's the only question mark I'd have and worry I'd have in regard to Waterford but I think he'd walk away from that game quite happy because like, it was very very high scoring and he hurled really well in parts it would have scoreline flattered Galway a little bit 
Gleeson won't be there, Paul, for come the championship. Look, he just won't. He's coming off such a good year in the forwards. He's needed up there. Irla Daly or Kevin Moran could do just as, as, as good a job there. And the problem with having these centre backs like Coleman and Gleeson and, and they're very obvious tactics. Oh, they, we want you to play make from there. What does the opposition do? Cause they know you put Connor Whelan on Gleeson, you put Keen Lynch on Coleman. And now let's see what you're going to do. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he will be there. Um, like you said, Earl Daly, he had a great All Ireland final when Tyke de Burke unfortunately went off. So I think there's kind of nearly, again, far be it for me to say Liam Cal knows his team, but you know I think he's a good option to have for centre back because he kind of plays the Tyke de Burke role really well. If there is an if there is an option there for someone to replace Tyke de Burke, and again. Yeah, I'd be pushing Austin Leeson up that small bit further. Again, I think Derek McGrath said it last night in the Sunday game, like Watford want Austin Leeson everywhere, to be honest. They don't even know um, where they want him specifically. So, But I would be pushing him up, um, you know, get him up around centre-forward and let him drift, nearly let him do that kind of Tony Kelly thing if he wants to do it. Um, I, I think Austin is obviously finding maybe the bit of form, the bit of confidence still at the moment. Um, but I think moving around positions or keeping him too far back, um, away from the goal he's a goal threat and we've seen it over the years when he's on form he can just run through defences and I, I believe regardless if that's a Limerick defence Tipperary defence Dublin defence I don't think it matters I think once he clicks I'd have him towards centre forward midfield centre forward direction where he can run at goal and at, if, if, at the very least cause problems or draw players to him or now Desi Hutchinson or the Bennett's are running off the shoulder so I don't think we'll see him there I think Irla Daly might step in for championship and they'll push Austin Leeson up that bit further and really ask a few more questions of teams yeah, I think I think you're right. Dermot Burns, Mick, was absolutely brilliant the other night. Like, I mean, it was a great answer for getting sent off against Galway, a game suspension, straight back into the team, scoring points from freeze, from play, throwing his body on the line, you know, catches, catching puck outs, like an all-round dominant display from him. Uh, he's brilliant, Willie. Like, he has, again, he has everything in his locker room. That passage of play where he got the point, the catch, the block. <laughs> it's an incredible pass to play and sometimes you forget about Dermot Burns with all the Limerick stars around the place and the thing but he is so consistent like you very rarely see a forward take him to the cleaners or, or do anything on him and he's so influential for everything that Limerick do his, his balls on the forward line are brilliant he scores he takes frees um, and he's brilliant in the air so he hasn't got any really jinx in his armour no so he's brilliant to have there he, he, and even Richie English clearance off the line, Paul. Like, I mean, they really just throw their bodies on, you know, they throw their bodies on the line, Limerick, to try and, just in a league game that they're winning well. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, that, that was a great save. And it's funny, like, we're not even really talking about it, but that was championship. And that was really important. Um, if, if there was only a point or two in it, you know, we'd be talking about that for, for, for days. It was a great save. And again, it just showed the hunger of Richie English to get back there. And if that ball went into the net, it wasn't really going to change the whole complexion of the match. But he got back there and, you know, slapped it away, hit the crossbar, I think it was, and actually came back out. But um, just shows the attitude that they're they're fighting for every ball. And I think even Dermot Burns, there was a, a ball went in um, towards the full back line. He got a great block and he came up with it. And the Cork lads fouled him, and they all kind of jumped up and were celebrating that they, you know, that they'd bro- broken down the play, won the free, and now they were they were going back on the attack. So I think those two plays show really the attitude of Limerick at the moment and 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 the headspace that they're in. And you look, the likes of Dermot Burns and Rick, Richie English, two no two better men to be doing it. Yeah, there's another attitude's great. I was looking at it this morning, uh, Mick, and I saw Colin Coughlin. Obviously, he had played so well. And I was thinking, geez, yeah, well, you know, when Declan Hannan retires, you know, Kyle Hayes will go centre back. And now they're, they're no weaker than they were. And then I just 
Google Declan Hannon. He's only 28. He's not retiring anytime soon. The options to have, like, I mean, you know, Casey back at fullback, Dan Morrissey wasn't there, Barry Nash. Like, I mean, two big names is going to lose out in that back line. Yeah, oh, the options there, like, you love John Coyley. Like, they're all all-stars, Willie. Like, they're, like, it wouldn't surprise you to see Coughlin win an all-star this year and start there. And, like, where do you put Kyle Hayes? You, put, you can put him back in the forwards. You can move him around. Like, they're all hurlers that can play really anywhere in the pitch. Because of the way Limerick play, they go up and down. They're all capable of scoring. So you, you can move them around anywhere. And it's just a, it's a great headache for a manager to have. So like, I, I don't think you complain, but like the, the depth in that Limerick panel is incredible. And like, I love Declan Hannon. I love his hurling. He's such fast hands. And when he gets the ball, he's so sharp-minded. Like he can make a decision in that split second, and it's nearly always the right decision. He had a great game for just being back. So... Again, the options there, and it's frightening that limit back. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do you think, Paul, there could be an option to throw a rabbit out of the hat later in the championship and stick Declan Hannon up to the edge of the square alongside Galan, maybe? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. You know, considering the amount of options they have in the backs. Well, sure, they might as well. They probably still win the All Ireland at this rate, so they can do it. But uh, it's funny you're saying Declan Hannon's 28. Um, I'm only thinking of it myself. I was in. San Francisco in 2011 on an all-star trip and Declan Hannon was on it. I'm just trying to think he must have been in junior cert or something that year if he was on the trip. But uh, It's incredible to think he's 28 and he's one of the older fellas on the team. And uh, I think he's kind of, for me, I think he's the dude that holds it all together, really. Um, I mean, we're talking about Dermot Burns and Kyle Hayes and all these lads making the runs. For me, I think Declan Hannon is actually the fella, he's, it's the reason he's the captain or maybe it's the reason he's the captain. I think he holds the whole thing together there for Limerick and he, he talks to lads. Like they're in a position now where if he wasn't there, I, I think the show would still go on. Um, you know, not saying that he's going to lose his position by any means, but I think he's actually through his captaincy and how he's conducted himself and the way he plays the game. I think one of the biggest things that Declan Hannon is in that Limerick team for as well is how he organises everybody around him and everybody knows their job. And I think that's the biggest influence he has on that team. So, you know, the longer he can stay there, um, you know, it'll be a long time before he goes from there. He could be hurling there for another five, six years um, and they could be rotating lads through him, but there's no shortages of options. So I think Declan Hannon will hold down the centre-back and might be Kyle Hayes on one side, might be Dermot Burns, could be Coughlin, you wouldn't know. But I think Declan Hannon really is the glue that holds it all together in, in the back line. I, I think the, are, is Dan Morrissey's time in the half back line gone, Mick? Yeah, I think so because when you name them players, Willie, and he's been so good in the full back line, I think that's it now. <laughs> he did a too good a job back there, like so. We don't need him in the half back line; they're too good. So uh, I can see him as a full back for the championship. But on yeah. the like he's an old head, Willie. Like for me, as big as asset is, he's so calm. You never see him fist pumping or roaring and shouting or hitting a dirty belt. He's really calm, heading him in that back line. Throughout all the chaos, and I think players feed off it, you know, like that he's so calm on the ball no matter what's going on around him. So um, that's why he's so influential. Right. So, like, I mean, Dan Morrissey then is just a straight battle with uh, Mike Casey, Paul, for the full back position. Would you have that as well? Yeah, yeah, they have they have serious options for that full back line there. I think Sean Finn is the only lad that's really nailed down, and that's no offence to any of the rest of them. But, uh, you know, you have Richie English there, you have Casey, you know, you have Morrissey. And they're all, it's not because any of them are hurling bad. They're all hurling really, really well. So it's a straight shootout, really, between the whole lot of them. Um, but I think Sean Finn is the only lad that could be absolutely nailed down. But, like, you mean, Richie English then in the other corner, sure, an exceptional corner back. But then you're looking at potentially Mike Casey or, or, or Morrissey on the sideline, you know. So brilliant yeah. position. 
brilliant position for them to be in. And uh, again, we've said it a few times, wouldn't like to be picking that full back line, but I think the only man guaranteed is possibly Sean Finn. Yeah, because the English is up against Nash for the number four uh, jersey, probably. I, I, we'll, we'll have to leave it there, lads. A performance of the weekend goes to Keane Lynch for me. I think he set the tone. He, you know, the turnovers, the points, the assists, just keeps everything ticking over, uh, Mick, doesn't he? Like, I mean, he's out, he's an outstanding, outstanding player. And he's found a position centre forward, probably. And because the centre backs love dropping off, he just pretty much running around doing what he likes. Yeah, and between the lines, he's so good. Really. Like, he's so difficult to mark. He just pops up in positions. If there's a rook, he's outside away from the ball. His hands are so quick, he can pick it up in trouble. And again, he's sort of given the freedom of the pitch. What he, he pops up everywhere. And like Tony Kelly, he's so good. John Coyley sort of said, go do, do your thing. Like, you know, Do whatever you want. He's so influential on the game. He's phenomenal. I, I would have picked him myself, even with, even with Tony Kelly's 20 points. <laughs> <laughs> just here's here's one thing here uh paul quickly before we go this popped into my mind and i think i've said this last year why would a team right say you've got keen lynch at center forward or, or connor whelan why would you not say to the center back look i want you to mark him i want you to mark him i want you to stay with him i don't want any of this dropping nonsense he's too important and tell one of your wing backs to drop off the less dangerous wing forward and come back in and and cover do you know what I mean? Why, why, why are they letting these brilliant centre forwards have a free role? Yeah, it's. Uh, I suppose it's it, it, it's not as easy with the likes of Keane Lynch in these because you could man mark him. But let's say, like Keane Lynch essentially took Coleman out of the game the other day, so now you're you know you're taking Coleman out of it. It's possibly the option of playing someone centre back that you don't really care about them hurling centre back. They're just going in to do a man marking job. But the other side is then. Because their forward lines are so strong, like you're talking about Connor Whelan there as well with Galway, there's too many lads around them that are still going to influence the game. And I think what automatically happens then is because those players around are influencing the game, it automatically opens up. The back line still just opens up and you'll see those players coming into the game. So if you go out and mark Keane Lynch for the first 15, 20 minutes and your man is touch tight for the whole thing, eventually I think you'll st- still see problems popping up around them. And naturally the other defender will go and try and you know, stamp out these problems and help his backline. Now, Keen Lynch isn't being marked as much, and Keen Lynch only needs the yard, or Connor Whelan only needs a yard, and they start sticking the ball back over the bar. And the other thing to say is, and we said it at the start, these lads are still immensely strong players, so you can man mark them. Still doesn't mean that you're going to stop yeah. them from getting the ball. They still just bully you. So it, it, it's a tough one. Do you sacrifice one of your main players to go and one of your best hurlers to go and really put these lads out of the game? Possibly a good option and something teams will have to look at going forward. Yeah, no, we'll definitely discuss that on the show because it's, diff- it's a difficult one with all these good centre forwards. Right, we'll leave it there. Keith Lynch, performance of the weekend. We'll be back on Thursday and we'll pre- preview the weekend's action. So we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. No such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do. No, we don't. A donkey eat that. A donkey eat a palace. <laughs> there was nothing else, Keith. He was massive. <laughs> Legs, ass, filth. But I burst out laughing about <laughs> <laughs>